Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Oh, good morning, good morning. How's everybody? Oh, that was, that was some intense worship that we had. So, so I expect this audience to just be incredibly responsive. Uh, I want to start off by recognizing some disappointment in the room. I don't know when it became uh, encouraging to discourage people, but uh, I've been told all morning, along with some texts and a couple emails, that my wife did such a great job speaking last week. They were, they were wondering if I still had a day job. And that, was an actual, that was an actual comment, like, so uh, that's got to be weird. And I was like, what? And they're like, but uh, yeah, no, that, that, I mean, she did great and all, but come on. I mean, that's... So, uh, so appreciative, but uh, even right before I got on stage, someone's like, oh, you again. Yeah. Oh, cool, cool. Uh, thank you for being here. My name's Danny, and I am one of the pastors that speaks here regularly, so <laughs> super excited, feel super honored right now. Uh, we, are, we are starting a brand new series today, and, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. This is one of the first series I've done that is in response to some things I've learned while pastoring this church. Uh, I don't know if you know it or not, but there's been a lot of life change happening in the people sitting next to you, a lot of folks that, that have been going through a transformation process, a metamorphosis, if you will. And this idea that there's an old self and a new self has just become kind of part of Kessid. And so a few months ago, uh, going into summer for our, our, our kind of spring-summer series, I wanted to do a series called The Quickening. And I started kind of uh, uh, putting it out there, and I got all kinds of incredible feedback from all sorts of different people about, about how it could unfold. And so today, I'm, I'm super stoked I get to talk to you about what we're going to be doing for the next few months here at Kesed. Uh, before I do that, though, I want to pray. And I want to pray because as much as I have an agenda, as much as I have prayed all week to, to spend time with you right now, um, at the end of the day, I want to be the person and share the message God has. And I want you to hear, not me, uh, but the Holy Spirit and the way that he wants to reveal himself to you. He is uh, the utmost and the highest, and he is the one that we're really here to honor. And so uh, I just want to take a second, take a breath, uh, really feel our feelings, recognize that we all come in here from different stories. We all come in here from different paths, and so not everything hits us the same. And that's what's so amazing about serving a living God and speaking from his living word. We get to, to just put it out there and let the Holy Spirit make it uh, exactly what it is we're supposed to, to feel and experience. And so uh, let's just take a minute and just lay those cares and those worries before him. Lord, uh, we're here right now. We, we, we set aside time. We set aside uh, uh, our... Uh, our agenda, we set aside all the worries that we brought with us, and Lord, we recognize that you can accomplish some really amazing stuff if we can just stop and listen. And so, Lord, I pray against the distractions, the things that are forefront on our minds, the things we know we have to do as soon as we leave, or the things that we feel will keep us from, from moving to that next level of intimacy with you. I pray against those things, Lord, that today would be a breakthrough that that feeling in worship would just continue in the message and that we would just experience something more uh, than, just, than just articulation, Lord, of words. We would experience revelation of spirit. How amazing are you, God, when we stop and gaze upon your face. And so may that happen now 
We lift this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, this word, this idea of quickening, let me just first explain uh, some different ideas around this phrase, the quickening. A quickening, according to the dictionary, is this. It's anything that excites, stirs up, wakens, animates, activates, incites, galvanizes, instigates, inspires, uh, kindles, fans, refreshes, strengthens, invigorates, reanimates, reactivates, revives, revitalizes, or resuscitates. A quickening is something that happens within your story that, that, that you're changed from that point forward. Uh, it's also a medical word. I, I don't know if a lot of the moms in the rooms knew this more than the dads I talked to, but uh, uh, some moms can actually feel their babies move as early as 13 to 16 weeks. These first fetal movements are actually called medically quickenings. And they're when your, your mind gets in touch with your body and says, I'm pregnant. Like, there's something alive in here, and that's a quickening. Uh, I know the first time I put my hands on my wife's belly, and she had felt uh, our daughter move many, many times, but when I put my hands on my wife's belly and I felt it, I was like, oh, my. Like, 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 like I did that. Like, I'm, you know, I, I, that's a quickening, right? Every guy in the room knows what I'm talking about, right? There's just, you're like, that's, I'm awesome. Like, it's so, it's so good. It's so good. Uh, quickenings happen in everyday life. They happen all the time, and they usually impact you, and they, they can be positive, they can be negative, they, they can be neutral, but they happen all the time, and you can experience them as long as you're aware, and sometimes even when you're unaware, they can sort of happen to you. Uh, from my wife's talk last week, she was told many stories of many moms that had uh, difficult children and difficult mom journeys, and all of those things were tied to them telling her how amazing she was and how they spoke, hoped she could speak all year round. So all these stories uh, led to one story that I asked if I could steal. And it came from a new grandmother who was at the beach with her adult child and her, her two-year-old granddaughter. And this adult child was one of those moms, you know, that just has things dialed in. You know those moms that are just like, I don't know what's so difficult about this. Maybe the child's just easygoing. And they're sitting on the beach, and this mom was just sort of kind of, kind of boasting about what kind of a mom she was maybe and, 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 and how she just didn't get the rest of these struggles. And this grandmother's like, mm, mm, listening. And, and all of a sudden, from way down the beach, this, this woman yells out these words, whose baby is this? And this mom goes, that's what I'm talking about. Can you believe that? Like, who loses their baby? And the mom's like, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of scary. It's a busy beach. There's lots of people here. And the lady's walking around with this two-year-old, and she goes, whose baby is this? And the mom's like, unbelievable. This is unbelievable. And she just goes on and on and on three, four more times until finally it gets just 15, 20 yards away. And she starts looking. And the mom turns and says, whose baby is this? And the grandma looks at the daughter, and the daughter's like, Oh, that's my baby. That's a quickening. That's when you're like, oh, that's how that happens. Oh, I've changed. Like, I realize I need to stop judging other moms because sometimes we get busy and stuff happens. These are quickenings, and they're critical. They're super, super important. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about spiritual transformation. It talks about new hearts and old hearts and old man and new man, and all those things happen through quickenings. They all happen through, through somebody experiencing something in their story that goes, 
oh, that's me. Or, oh, I, I do that. Or, oh, I, I need that. These are quickenings. And so we're going to spend for the next few months in this series called Quickening. David was well acquainted with spiritual quickenings. This is where we get the verse that we are going to use for this series. Psalm 119.93 says, I will never forget thy precepts. Thy words is what he's saying. For with them thou has quickened me. David had many stories, and you could probably pick a few right now, where he's walking along in life, and something happens on behalf of God, and he stops. And he's like, oh, I'm that man. That's me. This is my path. That was for me. I shouldn't do this. These are experiences that God gave him that quickened him. These spiritual quickenings come in all different shapes and sizes. And so throughout this series, to illustrate these different quickenings, we're going to use a different symbol every week. And all these symbols represent a quickening I received from you. Something that happened in your life, in this congregation, in your story that changed them and made them different than before. This particular week's series is The Broken Heart. And I, I, someone asked me how 9 o'clock went, and uh, there's such a thing when you're presenting called gold bar services. And gold bars are only so big, but they're a lot heavier than you realize if you've ever got a chance to, to, to pick one up. And this particular topic, I like felt, I realized that during 9 o'clock that I gave it to everybody, and they were like, this is going to be great. Oh, and it was way heavier than everybody thought it was. And so we all started excited, and then all of a sudden, we felt our lives begin to unravel, and, and I think that's what was supposed to happen, but I don't know if I gave good enough warning. So I'm warning you right now that the only way to walk out these quickenings is to start with the first one. It's the one God laid on my heart to begin with, and it's the one um, that I may know best because it's the quickening of being unmade. This symbol represents uh, a big, big portion of my story. And a huge portion of scripture. And it is so special and, and so beautiful and, and can transform such a large landscape of your life. And it is so difficult and so um, sad all at the same time. This symbol, this idea to be unmade, I'll put it on the screen, is a terrible experience that can result in a wonderful healing if you'll allow it. And so I want to invite you into this, because as entertaining as I think this series will be, we're going to hear from different people that are experts at different things. It's just going to be a blast. As entertaining as, and as engaging as it's going to be, if you don't start from a place of knowing you need these in your life, if you're, if you're pretty well knit together, you're pretty well polished, you're what I would call a performer, and you got a face and a, and a, and a walk and, a, and an M.O., that pretty much can, can fit into any situation. People think, man, I want, I want, you know, I, if you're somebody people want to be, then this talks for you. Because uh, I've wrestled a long time with some of the stuff I'm sharing with you today. And I know how terrible it is, but I also know how wonderful it has been for me to experience the unmaking of my heart. C.S. Lewis, if you don't trust me, let's look at him. <laughs> He understood this idea of being unmade. He said this in his book, A Grief Observed. He says, suppose that what you are up against in your life is a surgeon, is a surgeon whose intentions are wholly good. Would you not realize that the kinder and more conscientious he is, the more inexorably he will, be on, he will go on cutting? If he yielded to your entreaties, 
If he stopped before the operation was complete, all the pain to that point would have been useless. What do people mean, he asked, when they say, I'm not afraid of God because I know that he is good. He says, have none of these people ever been to a dentist? Now, I can need something from a surgeon or a dentist and still have some fear because of the pain I know that's going to happen. What I know, though, is that the hands of the surgeon or the dentist are being applied to my body and the pain is being experienced for my betterment. We don't look at God this way. We, don't, we see God as, 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 as sort of this genie in a bottle that, that, that we ask to come out and answer all of our questions and, and help us with all the things that are, that are vague in our lives and then go away when it's time for us to make real decisions. This is often how we approach him with our faith. I know for me, my first real uh, unmade quickening happened about 11 years ago. 11 years ago, I think next month. I was working at another church, a very large church, and I was... Uh, struggling with my place there. I was wrestling with who I was and some of the things that were going on. And so I did the righteous right thing and I took a stand. And I articulated my stand. And I articulated it well. I articulated it so well, I got myself a ticket to a national uh, pastoral, uh, uh, what would you want to call it? A national pastoral inquiry where I got flown to meet a man who had great wisdom who was going to decide if my stand was righteous or not. So because I was so confident in my stand, I got on the plane and gladly went. I shared my case before the judge as to why some of the stuff in this church should, should stop. And uh, he said to me, I, I think some of the things you're saying are right, but I think you should leave. And I said, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and, and he said, well, I can't make you leave because you're simply bringing out things that are that, are, that you feel are true, and, and I think some of the things you're saying are right, but I don't know why, I, I think you should leave. And I'd like you to pray about that tonight, and then we'll talk the next day. I went back to my hotel, and I'll never forget this. Uh, I, I called my wife, I shared with her. I was sitting by this, this little pool out, out in the, the, the back of the hotel, and she said, well, you should call so-and-so, who was uh, a professor uh, in my life, a theology professor. And so I called him, and he answered the phone, and I I shared with him everything. I mean, it was beautiful. It was a straight-up sermon on the 12 reasons why what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be were right and righteous and true. And he listened, and he listened, and he listened, and at the end, he goes, that is all good. I agree. Finally. And he goes, and you should leave. <laughs> I said, what? What? And he goes, Danny, I want to give you a gift today. And this is, this, is, this is a present I'm passing down that I've been able to pass to other pastors. Um, he said, Danny, I want to give you a gift. He said, uh, I, I need you to understand that you don't have to leave. You can avoid leaving. Um, I think you can even back it up biblically why you shouldn't leave. Um, because you're, you're right in many areas. But I don't know if you being right and you following God's desire for your life are the same thing. And I said, well, this doesn't feel good. And, and he stopped me on the phone and he goes, that's why I know it's true. He said, when God approaches changes in your life, when he quickens your heart, it never, hardly ever feels good. His illustration to me, this professor's illustration to me, was that it feels like getting run over by a slow approaching Mack truck. This was like, this was this godly man's illustration to this pastor who was right, by the way. Two times I was told I was right. And he's like, but Danny, 
if you can sit in that road, and you can avoid it. You can step to the side, you can step to the right, you could lay down, you could crawl over, it doesn't matter. It's not about catching you by surprise, it's about listening to the gear shift as God unmakes your life. He goes, I want to give you a word. I said, okay. And he says, the word is chesed. And I said, what does that mean? And he goes, it means steadfast, merciful love. He goes, Danny, you need to experience God's chesed love, his steadfast, merciful love. He gave me all these verses in the Psalms where David used it because David understood this, this heart-wrenching running over of one's life. And he said, you just sit in that place no matter how it hurts, no matter how bad you want to jump out of the road, you sit in that place and you allow God to unmake everything that you thought you were in order to experience his trust, his faith, and who he is. And so in that place, Danny, you allow him to remake you. You die. And so I got on a plane. I went back to my other church. I sat in front of the board, and I resigned. And I cried the whole way home. I ended up with, uh, over the next three months, about four or five other people that resigned along some of the same issues. And we did some some comforting together. We actually did some grief therapy. It was the first therapy I ever did in my life was when I left this because I was so angry and full of rage and I was so hurt. So I did, I think, three months of grief therapy as a group and then I gave them a word and the word was kesed. And so when we decided to start this church coming up on 10 years ago, that's what we named it. Because God quickened our hearts and he wrecked us. And he messed us up. And to this day, it's probably one of the most beautiful things that have ever happened to me. Now, I don't know what your quickening is, and I don't know which one will hit you the hardest, but I know that if you're not willing to be unmade, none of them will hit you like they should. Jesus illustrates this idea of being unmade in the story of the prodigal son. It's in Luke 15. If you want to turn there, we're not going to read it because most of us know it, but there's this young man who takes his inheritance early from his dad. He basically proclaims culturally, I wish you would die. I just want what you're going to give me when you're gone anyways. He leaves cocky and confident. He was rich with his dad's money and full of dreams. And so, of course, it didn't take long for him to gather quite a few friends. And together for a season, they lived it up. They were the people everybody wanted to be. They were the performers. They were the ones that led the town. As Jesus shares his story... We know that eventually the man has a desire to come home, but it wasn't because he lost all of his money. It wasn't because he lost all of his friends. It wasn't because he was, lived through a serious famine. It wasn't because he couldn't find work or he had to take the job of a dirty Gentile. It wasn't because he was living and sleeping and feeding the pigs. It wasn't because of his hunger pains or loneliness or sadness. None of these things by themselves are why he decided to go home Jesus says it wasn't any one of these things, but all of them that were used to get him to come to an end. And then it says this in Luke 15, 17, Jesus proclaims, but when he came to himself, when he, when he looked inward, when he tied inward, when all of the distractions of this life that have kept you full and kept you busy and kept you numb to the things that are going on inside your own story, when he came to the end of himself, he could see the truck coming, but he avoided it. He dodged it. He proclaimed other people responsible for it. This wasn't his road. This wasn't his path. And then one day he stopped and he looked at the truck and he looked at his life and he said, I'm done. I'm done. 
I've messed this thing up. I've come to the end of myself. This is what allowed him to be unmade, and this is what drove him home. And yes, it took a lot. But we know based on the scripture that when he got home, his father ran to him, he greeted him, and he celebrated with him because he was always waiting for him to come to himself and understand his great need for the father. People in the process of being unmade will always ask the same question. I know they do with me, and I know I have and still do when I'm in it. The question is why? Why would God do this? Why wouldn't God just fix it? Why can't he just make things right right now? And my answer to that question is generally always another question. What is it that you think God wants? What is it that he's after? Do you think he's after your performance? Do you think he's after your stuff? Do you think he's after your marriage? Do you think he's after your prayer or your songs? What is it that you think God is after? There were a group of people in the prophet Micah's day, and they complained as well, but with boldness that they were frustrated with this God and his lack of clarity about what he was after. Micah 6, 7, they asked this question, and so I'm going to ask it with a tone of rebellion because that's how we all ask it. Nobody's like, what is it you want, O Lord? <laughs> no, one asked, no one asked that way, not if they're really getting to the end of themselves. They're like, what is up? Why are you doing this? Like, I attend most Sundays. I even raise one hand halfway. I mean, I'm doing it. What is it? that you want. But they asked the question that our hearts are really asking, and they said, hey, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? They say, what is it you want? You want my kids? You want my life? What, what do you want? What are you doing? Still people today feel this way. It's their way of asking, what does God want from us anyways. They feel this way, and so they strive to do the best they can to please God for nothing, and then they ask, what is it that God wants from me? The prophet Micah finally responds to the rebellious nature in them and to the one that lies deep within all of our hearts. He says, Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O man, you already know. He says, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. He says, you know what God wants. God's desire for us is very simple. God wants us to love him with all our hearts and let our obedience stem from a heartfelt desire to be pleasing in his sight. But to be obedient and to have a desire that comes from within means we have to have a remade heart. David understands this. He proclaims, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. Look at there it is. And a broken and contrite heart. God will not despise. God wants you unmade. God wants my heart broken. Because at the end of the day, what God wants is me. What God wants is you. He wants all of you. And as long as your heart is knit together by your desires, by your plans, by your purposes, by my dreams, by my vision, by my gifts, by my talents, as long as my life is knit together in any way by me, then God can't have a piece of it. And God is not a person who just takes it chunk by chunk. He wants it all or he lets it be. This theme is all throughout scripture. 
God wants you. God wants you to throw yourself completely upon him. God wants you to fully commit yourself and your situations and live for him. He wants you to pray diligently, seeking him in deeper prayers and deeper ways. He wants to reveal himself strong and powerful to you. He wants you to recognize his delivering power is all that you need. 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5, such is the confidence that we have through Christ. Toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. There is an incredible value throughout Scripture in recognizing that we are insufficient, that we are not complete. This is what fallenness means. This is what brokenness means. This is this idea that we as humans were meant to live differently. Death's not supposed to be part of our story. Sickness isn't supposed to be around. The dysfunction, the trauma, all of these things that you know that grade upon your deepest person, these are the things that were never intended to be in this creation, and yet they are because of the choices we make. And so God wants you to recognize that there's nothing you can do to uproot those things from your life. And he wants you to break open your very person, my very person, and ask him to take out what shouldn't be and put in what isn't. That's what God wants. And so your prayers, your performance, your sermons, your healthy churches, your, the books you write, none of those things are what God wants. They're, they're hopefully pathways to lead people into more realization that what, because of what God is after, but they are not the thing in and of themselves. Too often people raise up fruits and proclaim these things as the things God values when really it's always been hearts. It has always and always will be the hearts of men and women that God is after. And so you can look at all of these quickenings and you can go, I'm so excited that God is going to awaken me and transform things in my life. But the reality is until you are willing to join the journey of the unmade and step back out into the road and listen to the gear shift and be honest that you're not going to fix your marriage. You're not going to do it. You're not going to be able to reach those kids that are wayward. You're not going to be able to be the employee or the boss or the person or the countryman or the church member you want to be without God. You can't do it. Others have tried and they've all failed. It is only people with broken and contrite hearts that are throwing themselves at God, committing themselves to God, diligently seeking, knocking the door that God says, knocking. Have you ever thought about that? The knock is not, you don't discover God. He's not a, an X at the end of a treasure map. You fall apart. And when you fall apart, it's almost like the sounds and the chunks of your heart, your broken human heart hitting the ground, knock upon the cosmos and God opens the door and says, ah, I want you. I want to be part of that story because this person will, will harmonize this with me. This person will find me in shalom. That's what it means, peace and understanding. This person will, will, will decide that, that, I mean, my wife, my, my 19-year-old daughter has a boyfriend. Okay, let's just get it out there, church. <laughs> and I, I really like him. I really do. I really like him. And I heard my wife talking to my daughter about making good decisions with her boyfriend. She said, I just want to tell you something. You've got to build your entire relationship off of faith. And I was not even close. I was just listening. And, and my wife said, and your dad and I have tried to do that over the years because here's one thing I want to tell you right now. There will come a point in your relationship where you will look into the eyes of this person that you love and that you're married to and ask yourself, did I make a mistake? And I was like, what? <laughs> what kind of advice is that? I didn't say anything because I knew better, but in my heart, I was like, 
That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. The truth of it is that if you think you're just going to persist in your marriage because you'll make the right decisions and, answer, and read the right books and be the right kind of, of, of love and have the right kind of integrity, you're, you're blowing smoke. I'm telling you, it's what I do for a living. I spend time in broken marriages. And the most broken marriages are one where one or both of the spouses have decided to try to fix it themselves because they only have the tools they have. And it takes tools beyond this world to allow two people to stay together in the same house through all their brokenness and stuff. Now, the Holy Spirit does it, and he gets mass glory for it because it shows what he does. It shows the beauty behind marriage, the, the beauty behind one anotherness and, and harmony and the way that two people help complete and make whole. And it's just a wonderful thing, but it's only wonderful if God's the one determining it. Because if it's a husband, like, here's the three things you should do to be more complete with me. Or if it's a wife doing the same thing, it is so shattered and broken. And so I, I admit my wife's, my wife's right about that one thing. That was one thing that she was right about. <laughs> I'm going to have my own meeting with my daughter, though, later. And I'm going I'm to say the same thing, but about my wife. That's what I'm going to make sure it's evened up. We have to trust God with our whole heart, even when... He starts to crack it open. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, and I love it. Never trust him just a little. Never give him only a part of your cares. Never rest just a portion of your trials on him. Lean on him with all your weight. Bring all the tons and pounds and ounces and throw them all on God. Do not carry an extra ounce yourself. God loves his children to place their entire confidence in him. I know some of you in this room are in this place, and you're asking these kind of questions. God, why have you allowed this to happen? Where is your help? Why don't you stop it? My humble um, and pleading question that I just want to, to lay in your lap as someone who's been there is, could it be that you're struggling in it because you're still in charge? Could it be that you're still trying in it because you think you know best? Are you still trying to manipulate and work things out for yourself? Are you still alive instead of dead to your own desires? For as long as you have one idea left about how to fix everything, I'm here to tell you today, God will watch. And he won't get involved. As long as you have one justifying thought around that your behavior is okay because, God will watch and he will not get involved. As long as you are still thinking through how to fix it, how to hide it, how to pretend your way around it, God will watch until finally you just give it up and give in. This is what he taught him and them in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. He says, God blesses, those who, God blesses those who are poor and realizes that their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. This verse is not just a verse about finances. This is a verse about poverty of spirit. This is a verse about people who know that their richness is found in God, not in their own skills, not in their own effectiveness. Ed Taylor said, God wants me to see my feeble limitations, so he allows me to take my own path. Maybe it's time for you to stop taking your own path and get on the one that heads towards God. I don't know if you've figured it out yet or not, but the truck is not the situation. The truck is driven by the Lord. 
You can blame everything you want around everybody you want, and you'll just be one of those people. But when you can stand in that road and carry that cross, if you will, and allow that life you thought you were going to have to fall apart in exchange for the life God knows he can build for you, it's quickening. And it's the unmaking of your story from where you were to where you're going. It says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. In this way, those of you in the room who decide not to do this, who appear to be seemingly stronger, those of you in the room who want to continue to perform, you will actually suffer in misery longer until you finally give up. Being unmade wakes us up to the fact that we serve him, not he us. And through it, God speaks to us, beckoning us to relinquish our idol of control that causes us to believe we can prevent all bad things from happening or correct their byproducts by being a better person. God reminds us in Psalm, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. I don't think there's any confusion about who all this belongs to. I just want you to know it's not you. It's always been him. We don't even belong to ourselves, 1 Corinthians 6. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. If you are a Christian, it's time you start living that way. You are not in charge. You never have been. But when you put Christ front and center, your life became his. And so you should start saying things like, this house is yours. This money is yours. This body is yours. These children belong to you. You own the title. You own the deed. You own the right to revenge. You own the right to hold accountable. You have the power of life and death. For my friends, that is the way of the Lord. In our own strength, I want you to leave you with this quote. In our own strength, we are powerless. Yet in his strength, we are unmade. And so recognize he is all powerful. This is the quickening of an unmade heart poured forth. When you recognize that, then you can begin to live a life differently. And here's a testing question for those of you in the room who are ready to perhaps take on this challenge. And the question is this, where and what without God in your life would fall apart? Where and what without God in your life would fall apart? If there was no God in your business, would it fall apart? If there was no God in your marriage, would it fall apart? If there was no God in your parenting, would it fall apart? Where and what in your life without God would fall apart? And if God is not part of the equation and you do not see his blessing and provision, then it's probably your own doing and your energy is the only thing keeping it afloat, which means eventually it's going to go away. God is the one who sustains. It's through surrender and through the kneeling of our knees in humility that we can sit with him, that we can rest with him, and that we can find our greatest purpose in him, being quickened to find ourselves unmade and so whole. This, to this day, is where I find my greatest rest. To this day is going back to the story I just told you. When things get too hard here, when my vision isn't happening, when my leadership is fumbling, when I'm failing sideways in everything I'm doing, it is always in that story and to this day that I can rest in the quickening of my unmade heart because I learned a long time ago that it becomes a lot easier to trust God when I understand that whatever he gives or takes away belonged to him in the first place. It's all his anyways. He had an idea to build a church. I just happened to be here. I happened to show up. You've now showed up. And he's like, I'll use these people. But do you think that God needs us to do this? He doesn't. 
It's our privilege to continue to be unmade and so allow other people to see lives that are lived in rest and, and confidence because of God who, who creates this all around us. My marriage, my children, this place, the relationships I have, they would all fall apart without God. I'm being honest. I'm just too selfish. I am. That's what three and a half years of therapy taught me. <laughs> I'm like, I am brutally independent. Like people that help me is like, it's like, I mean, it's like, it's, it's like a cross to a vampire. I'm like, oh, I don't know if that, I just, I don't like it. And now I'm learning there's a reason I don't like it. It's in my story and it's part of my flesh and it's not good. And so I have to go out of my way to say, yes, I thank you for that help. I'd love to relinquish control of this <laughs> and allow you to do it however you see fit. Not in any way how I desire for it to be done. If you're interested, here's a small list. <laughs> like, this is a beautiful place to be because it's so uncomfortable. It makes me listen to the critiques but not buy into every single one as if it's the gospel. For the gospel says, my heart has been transformed. I believe in my God. I believe in the future he has laid out before me and for us. And I believe in the quickenings of our spirits and the transformation of our lives that he's willing to offer. It's a beautiful thing, and I invite you into the process because it's, uh, it's going to be incredible. Yeah. I'm going to give you a, a chance to respond to this. Uh, so I'm going to have all the heads bowed, all the eyes closed. I think there's a lot of people that are, they're, they're kind of on the verge of thinking, okay, Lord, I, I think there's some stuff in my life that needs to be unmade. There's some stuff in my life that I got I to gotta give over. And so if you're one of those people, I just want you just within yourself to pray and say, God, God, you, you know how much control and how much security, how much identity, how much value, how much meaning, how much purpose I find in whatever this is. God, you know that without it, I feel naked. I feel exposed. I, I feel vulnerable. But Lord, you felt all those things. You walked this road before me. And through it, you brought healing to hearts like mine. And so God, today, I want to I wanna set this stuff down. And I'm afraid. And I'm uncomfortable. God, please quicken this area in my life. Unmake my heart. Remake my story. Allow me, God, to just sit in your presence. Allow me, God, A lot of private prayers happening right now and I want you to continue in that a lot of unveiling a lot of confessing just stay in that posture trust him and be unmade
give you all I can today The scattered ashes that I hid away I lay them all At your feet From the corners of my deepest shame the empty places where I've worn your name Show me the love I say I believe Oh, help me to lay it down Oh, Lord, I lay it down Oh, let this be Once and for all